You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. As physicians, we have learned the ins and outs of the human body, but yet we still have difficulty deciphering the needs of our business. While there are programs designed to help us run our practice and consultants to help us run our books, for some reason we still have great difficulty with this topic. And it's pretty hard to determine if we are running at optimum potential. Most of the time, private practices are not running an efficient business, but don't know how to turn it around. So the question remains, how do we determine what our failures are and what can we do to correct them? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. And joining me today is Lori Hyland-Robertson, Senior Editor, Projects for Physicians Practice, America's leading practice management journal and author of the recent article, The Great Practice Makeover, How Much is Enough? In this article, Lori profiles an office which she helped turn around. Lori speaks on practice management topics at seminars and conferences around the country. She also contributes to a variety of physicians' practice publications and educational activities and authors the Practice Makeover column for Physicians' Practice. Welcome to the show, Lori. Thank you so much. Lori, can we talk about the gastroenterologist's office that you profiled in May 2007, Great Practice Makeover column? The piece was called How Much is Enough and focused on staffing levels in smaller medical practices. This was a really interesting piece for me to write because in many ways this doctor, her name is Dr. Malecki, she represents the new ideal, kind of the way we hope that physicians will seek solutions to achieve balance in their professional lives. She retired. (laughs) Not quite. She works in a teaching hospital, but she's recently started her own small private practice as well. And she said to me, you know, it's the best of both worlds, both the academic and the private practice. And and it's easy to see how that would be very satisfying on both an intellectual and a personal level. Her problem, the reason she contacted us for a practice makeover, is that she's not sure that she really needs the level of staffing she has in her private practice because she's only there part-time, essentially. How many people are there currently or before you intervened? Well, she has an office manager who works about 35 hours a week and a medical assistant who's there 20 hours a week. And she herself is there two days. Mm -hmm. That's about 20 hours. Okay. Doesn't seem so bad yet. Right. But her thought was, this is a lot of staff hours. Mm -hmm. This is 55 staff hours at a minimum. And there always seems to be something that's going undone or needs to be caught up on. So how is it that me being in the office just two days generates five days' worth of work. Right. I I don't think it does. (laughs) What were you able to do for her? Well, it's difficult to get your head around that that perhaps people are stretching their tasks to fill the allotted time. But a recent study showed that every hour of clinical care delivered by a physician results in, I think it was 36 minutes of paperwork. That's the unfortunate reality. 20 hours of seeing patients would translate into what, about 12, 13 hours of non-clinical work? At least, and that will vary by specialty. And because this was a gastroenterologist, she does a lot of procedures. She has a lot of managed care patients, a lot of referrals. It's probably even higher. What kind of benchmarks do you recommend to docs uh, in terms of staffing? Are there certain numbers that per doctor, per practice should have Well, those numbers are out there, but I would first say not to get too hung up on those kinds of statistics. 
And remember that what's most important is whether your practice is working the way you want it to. But one number that we refer to a lot at Physicians Practice is put out by the Medical Group Management Association, the MGMA. Mm-hmm. And according to them, they break it down by specialty. And in GI practice, the median national number of support staff is just over four and a half. Per doc. Per full-time equivalent physician, yes. Wow. By that rationale, Dr. Malecki should have roughly two and a quarter support staff. Mm -hmm. And what she has works out to 1.38. So she's unnecessarily whining. (laughs) She was understaffed. Yeah, she probably could stand to step it up a little bit. In my practice, I like to be overstaffed more than understaffed. Uh, I make less money per year, but I have a lot less aggravation and headaches. You have to decide whether or not you want a hectic, chaotic workplace or not. That's true. You mentioned that some doctors actually need more than other doctors. How do you get that doctor to realize that? That's been a challenge for as long as I've been working in the medical publishing field for 10 years now. But you really can look at charts that show that practices with more staff per physician tend to perform better financially than those with lower staffing ratios. They tend to be more productive. And I think that that's because the most valuable commodity in any practice is the physician's time. So whatever you can do to free the doctor to focus on the things that only the doctor can do, that's all to the good. Lori, it seems like you're potentially recommending more training. I think that it's almost always good to give more training, assuming that the staff person is open to it. And if the staffer isn't open to it, then maybe that's another question you need to to decide on later. And it's great if you can bring in highly experienced staff, but I would say that it's more important to hire based on personality. One of the most successful receptionists I know of is a bartender by trade. Mm -hmm. And the physician knew her, she was a patient of his, and he found himself in need of an office manager, or excuse me, a receptionist, and approached her and said, hey, I think you would be really great at this. I think you have what it takes. And she's now been his receptionist for 10 years. And the the patients don't mind waiting anymore because they're all liquored up. (laughs) She's still mixing drinks. That's not a bad idea. No, you're right. uh, There are definite skill sets that you look for in a receptionist. And the other important point is that Having an agenda for career development shows a a real commitment to the staff's professional advancement, and that's very important. What does a staff do when they have a doctor as their boss who all he cares about is seeing as many patients per hour, and all he talks about is his new car and the trips he's going on, and he just really pisses off his staff, and they're just, they have no desire to want to help this guy because he really does not care about the patients. He just wants to get the spoils of being a physician. I mean, that's got to be a hard practice to help make over. That's true. And and happily, I think that's really the exception rather than the norm. Most physicians want to maximize the quality of time that they have with their patients rather than simply maximizing the number of patients. But it does point out an important disconnect. When most physicians arrive in private practice, they have no formal training and pretty limited experience in supervision other than other medical professionals in the residency system. Right. We have, we have none. We've been in a suspended state of prolonged adolescence. We, we have no idea really how to deal with the real world and or manage people whatsoever. Office jobs are highly demanding, 
in ways that we don't always think about, and we may not compensate them accordingly. Lori, I got a, an important question for you. Are you ready? Shoot. How many doctors are happy with their office managers, and how many of them just kind of deal with them, tolerate them? And I, I guess a follow-up question is, do you actually need an office manager? I think, in reality, it's pretty split. There are those physicians who are lucky enough to have found a good fit with their office manager, and those who have tell me, without exception, that that person is worth his or her weight in gold. Mm -hmm. How often do they end up marrying their office manager? <laughs> I'd I'm like not to see to that. Answer that one. I'd like to see that statistic. <laughs> I think that would be very interesting. Because if they truly are worth their weight in gold and running the doctor's practice, I can understand how the doctor would feel quite safe and protected and fond of that person. That's very true. So you're not going to touch that one. All right, let's no, move I'm on. Not. <laughs> um, when we talk about physicians running their practices, and you've gone into these practices frequently, how many docs are control freaks? The short answer is 100%. Okay, good. Now you're being honest. <laughs> uh, but... I think that brings up a good point. It's helpful in terms of practice management if you can give up a little bit of control in the areas that are outside that clinical realm because that really will allow you to focus on having more control in the clinical area, which is really where your expertise lies. So again, the doctor needs to hone up on some skills he or she may not have, never learned in med school, but definitely would benefit from getting some therapy. <laughs> Perhaps. I think it's important to remember that although something might not be done exactly the way you would do it, that really may not be important. And here again is an example of how a disconnect can develop between the way physicians and the rest of the professional world is trained to think. Lori, can we go back to the gastroenterologist that you helped? And I know that one of the things she wanted to do was more cancer screening and less chronic care. How was she able to make that transition, and uh, were you able to help her? Well, it remains to be seen if my recommendations worked. We will be following up with her. But my first suggestion to her was to take a deliberate look at her payer mix to see if she was getting the kind of patient she wanted, and to also take a hard look at her marketing strategies to target specifically the kind of patient she hoped to attract. Another idea is to hire staff from the local area, which she had done. Her office manager was from the area right around the practice. And it goes back to finding out what pushes your staff's buttons, what really gets them excited. And that will enable you to, to make use of the resources you have. Free lunch. They're very excited about free lunch. <laughs> Food almost always works. Yes. In this case, it turned out that the office manager had experience marketing because she had owned her own business for many years. Ah, I asked her, would she be open to representing the practice in that way? And she said, oh, absolutely, but nobody's ever asked me. So marketing is important, but again, this gastroenterologist is only there half time. She wants to grow her practice, yet, you know, if she's not there all the time, she may not have the availability to her patients that they desire. Was there ever any discussion about, listen, you pick one? No, she was pretty set on doing both and was very clear on the benefits that she received from each mm -hmm. job. And she had been able to work it out so that her patients had somewhere to go. They always knew who to call if they needed help. But that's another reason it, that I felt it was particularly important for her to think about strategically where she wanted her private practice to go. Lori, is there anything else you can 
tell us before we go about how to uh, better our practices? One last tip. I would say that it's important with this next generation of workers, since we're talking about staffing today, remember that Generation X wants very much to feel a part of something. They want to be an integral part of whatever it is that you're doing. They don't want to be micromanaged, but at the same time, they want continuous feedback. And they tend to feel like they're doing something wrong if they don't hear from you regularly. So back to the part about giving up a little bit of control. Let your staff figure out how to solve the problem. Give them the latitude and the tools to do it, obviously, but see what they come up with. You might be surprised. And then say thank you. Absolutely. Lori Highland Robertson, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments, questions, suggestions, please send us your email at xm at reachmd.com and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening.